What is the cause? Is it something you rally behind for your own sake or for the sake of others? Often, the reason you might join a cause is not always the primary aim of the cause. What if you joined a cause for selfish reasons to get what you wanted rather than for the greater good of the cause itself? Would your efforts be enough to get what you wanted? Or would you be better off joining a cause with the same exclusive goals as your own? Although it would be a smaller rallying call, would this joined voice be louder and more powerful? It is the life of a man from Meath which answers these questions for us. This is his story. In the village of Slane, in 1887, a child was born. His name was Francis Ledwidge. Like many other Irish children born around this time, Francis was born bound by the shackles of poverty. His father Patrick was a lowly farm labourer who had little means in which to one day aspire to owning his own land. This of course being largely the result of a systematic oppression designed by the legal system to keep the Catholic Irish under the boot of the crown. His mother Anne focused her life on ensuring her children had enough education to one day get steady employment and potential security within their own means. These plans, however, failed to come to fruition, as when Francis turned just five years old, his father's soul left its earthly vessel. This left the family finances in an awful strain, and Francis was forced into employment where he could get it. His main role was to take up some of his father's duties on the farm. For the first few years after his father's death, Francis managed to juggle his education with work. His schoolmaster noted him as a boy with erratic genius. He was invited to join the Literary Society, where he was introduced to classic stories like The Arabian Nights and Robinson Crusoe, and the poetic works of Shakespeare and Keats. This sparked a great love of writing and literature in Francis, and he began to describe his own literary works, mainly in the form of poetry. At the age of just 13, however, his schooling came to an abrupt end, as he was required to gain a more steady employment to ensure that the family did not suffer eviction from their landlord. He earned a steady role working the grounds of Slane Castle, This allowed him time with his thoughts while he worked and he continued to write his poems. He often scribbled them on the sides of timber gates or on the bark of trees. On one occasion he received a bolt of an idea for a poem whilst he was in the staff kitchen. Eager to jot down the inspirational words filling his mind, he wrote the ideas down on the menu for the day. In doing so, he infuriated the head chef and was instantly fired. He then worked as a road mender, where he learnt about their construction. 
after some time he found a more rewarding role in the copper mines. Whilst working in the mines and experiencing the hardships of the workers, he led a strike against their conditions. He was sacked for his role in the strike, but this led him to join the rising trade union movements in Ireland, led by Connolly and Larkin. His ability to write and speak clearly and convey new ideas led him to become a prominent figure in the trade union movement. His writing, however, remained his first love. So much so that he sought many ways in which he could make a living from it. He pressed the upper classes to hire him as a writer, or at least to have them commission some work from him, and luckily in 1912 the Anglo-Irish landlord and fantasy novelist Lord Dunsany offered to pay Francis to produce works for him, and even provided him with an office in which he could work from. Little did Dunsany know, but the words being spoken by the Irish rebels at monster meetings encouraging a rising were being written in this office by Francis. He wrote the words which Connolly and others spoke from the podiums, which would ultimately lead to the rising of thousands of Irish people against the British upper class. It was through the trade union movement where Francis started to believe in the revolution against the Crown. Seeing the working and living conditions of the ordinary Irish such as himself against the backdrop of the wealth they were creating for the empire infuriated him. He attempted to bring the revolution on a number of occasions back to Slane through the Gaelic League, but was often defeated by the might of the wealthy in the area, who suppressed each movement he attempted through the force of the local police, disrupting and hassling the meetings he would organise. This only grew Francis's will to remove the oppression which cloaked the land he loved. It led him to form the Slane branch of the Irish Volunteers in 1914. Then came the Home Rule Bill, Scale Fadagar. The Home Rule Bill was passed so that Ireland would be given more access to govern itself under the watchful eye of the British Parliament. The Irish Republicans were sceptical that it would ever pass, as this was the third attempt at such an act. Whilst it did pass through Parliament, it failed to become a reality as when World War I broke out, the attention of the British ruling classes moved swiftly away from Ireland and focused firmly on matters in Europe. The British authorities began to spread rumours that should the Irish rebels join the war effort, it could lead to Irish independence. Some did not believe in violence and stayed home, but others, believing that it may be the only way Ireland would be free, went to war. Other Irishmen who joined the war were just looking for adventure and had been told of all the wonderful things they would see. The reality behind both reasons was far from what the men believed. Rumours began to spread around Francis that if the nationalists would join the British war effort in Europe that this would be looked favourably upon and it would allow a pathway to open for Irish freedom. Francis, seeing it as the best way in which he could help with the Irish struggle, joined the hundreds of thousands of other Irishmen with the same idea and joined the British Army in Europe.
before he went, however, he had become involved with a woman called Ellie Vaughy. She left him for another man before he enlisted. This too was a factor in his decision to join the war. He wanted to get away from her memory and Europe was sold to him as an adventure rather than a theatre of war. With this in mind, I invite you into the mind of Francis, who wrote a poem about his inner turmoil during this time of his life. A blackbird singing on a moss-upholstered stone, bluebells swinging, shadows wildly blown, a song in the wood, a ship on the sea, the song was for you and the ship was for me. Francis first entered the war in Gallipoli. He joined the fight with the other 345,000 British soldiers. In his own words, I joined the British army because England stood between Ireland and an enemy common to our civilization, and I would not have had it said that she defended us while we did nothing at home but pass resolutions. He settled in here for an eight-week campaign where he saw humans butchered by modern warfare on a daily basis. He spent every day under the rain of bullets and the nights under the showers of shells. Every few minutes he would witness another young man in uniform have their limbs ripped from them as a result of political decisions made by others far away from the front lines of battle. No poetry was written during this period. After the eight weeks of corpse piles growing taller around him, Francis was one of the remaining 118,000 British soldiers to leave the peninsula with their lives. He was brought back to a base near Serbia before a day of mixed news. He was brought into a large meeting tent with other men who were just trying to survive. At the tent he was handed a letter. As he read the letter he learnt that his first book of poetry entitled Songs of the Fields was to be published back home. As he looked up with glee from the letter he saw a general instructing the crowd to gather their belongings. They were going to rejoin the war in Serbia. Francis landed in Serbia during a harsh winter and many men fell ill from the effects of frostbite, losing toes, fingers and noses when they were not losing limbs and their lives to gunfire. The fighting in the region was hard and on the 9th of December the 10th Irish Division came under heavy attack from a much larger Bulgarian force and suffered 1500 casualties. Ledwidge survived but damaged his back during the retreat to Salonika and he was subsequently hospitalised in Cairo. He was later moved to Manchester for treatment. While in Manchester he met soldiers who came back from a fierce battle in Dublin. Confused by this he began to query why they were fighting in his homeland. Had the war spread there? He was eager to learn of what damage the opposition was doing there and requested that he be transferred to defend his home during the war. 
It was at this point he learned of the Easter Rising, the deaths of his friends and the execution of the leaders, his peers. He was particularly hurt by the execution of his dear friend Thomas Macdonough. A poem was written. He shall not hear the bittern cry in the wild sky where he is lain, nor the voices of the sweeter birds above the wailing of the rain. Nor shall he know when loud march blows through slanting snows her fanfare shrill, blowing to flame the golden cup of many an upset daffodil. But when the dark cow leaves the moor and pastures poor with greedy weeds, perhaps he'll hear her low at morn, lifting her horn in pleasant meads. He was allowed home during his recovery for a brief period. His family had found that he had changed drastically from the man they knew. He had become totally disenfranchised by the war effort after learning what the army he was fighting for had done to his friends. He told his brother, if someone was to tell me now that the Germans were coming over the back wall, I wouldn't lift a finger to stop them. Francis tried to abandon the army and failed to report for his return to duty. He was arrested for appearing drunk in uniform in May 1916. At the ensuing court-martial hearing, he was found guilty of overstaying his leave and for insubordinate talk. As punishment, he lost his Lance Corporal's stripe and was returned to service against his will and thrust back into the theatre of war. He returned to the front lines in France. He fought at the Battle of Arras and at the Third Battle of Ypres. Having been seen as a deserter by the leaders of the war effort, Francis was given some of the most difficult tasks. Given his history in road building, he was often tasked with going ahead of the army to build a route. On a break from working one evening, he wrote a letter home to his friend and fellow poet, Catherine Tynan. He wrote the following. I want to see again my wonderful mother, and to walk by the Boyne to Crewbon, and up through the brown and grey rocks of Crocknaharna. You have no idea of how I suffer with this longing for the swish of the reeds at Slain and the voices I used to hear coming over the low hills of Corbui. Say a prayer that I may get this leave and give us a condition my punctual return and sojourn till the war is over. A few days after writing this letter, Francis found himself with six others building a route for trucks to bring supplies to the front line. It was a dirty day which reminded him of home. The rain pelted down on them, which Francis did not mind. It made the tough earth easier to move.
As the rain clouds parted for a moment, Francis took a moment's breath and gazed to the sky. He watched as the clouds above him started to part and a blue sky began to appear. I would like to imagine that in this moment Francis thought of his home, that he reflected on the joy his poetry gave him, or that he took relief in the fact that his struggles in Europe might one day lead to his home being free. I wish upon wishes that these were the thoughts he had, but as a child's wish fails to have substance in reality, so too does my own. In reality, as Francis looked up to the patch of blue, he watched a large German bomb hurtle to where he stood. The last sounds which Francis heard were not those of singing blackbirds or the breeze giddily whistling through the air. They were the sounds of men screaming to get down and slopping through the mud in a bleak attempt to escape. Chaplain Father Devis was among the first to arrive on the scene. That night he wrote in his diary about the event, a single note. Ledwidge killed, blown to bits. The boots and remains of Francis were buried at the Artillery Wood Military Cemetery in Plot 2, Row B, Grave 5. Today's music was written, produced and performed by myself, Ryan O'Halloran. The story was researched and scripted by Oren. If you want to help to support this podcast, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash We the Irish. We the Irish is an Ireland Loves production. Ryan is Anam Dunn. Gorv Mahakut. Slán Anish.